I'm Caleb Rowe, and this is the Air of Grievances podcast. Today's episode, many of you may have caught on, is a part of a series of recordings that I did before leaving Kansas when I was still living with my family there. So I just kind of grabbed a bunch of family members and interviewed them. So this is an interview with my youngest brother, Nick. There's five of us boys total, and Nick is the youngest, so he deals with everything that the youngest child has to deal with. He's at a point in his life now, he's 14 years old, and he's kind of... um, defining himself and finding himself and figuring out how he wants to navigate the world on his own independently. And um, I respect that a lot, and I see that, and I encourage him. Um, Some of the stuff that he says in this interview, it's kind of hard for me to air, to be entirely honest. Because I've known Nick for so long, I know his heart. I know the purity of his heart and the good nature of his intentions. And... I know that some of the things that he's going to say might come off as sounding pretty harsh, and I do not endorse everything that he says. i got to say that up top. Uh, he knows that, and that's no secret. Um, he, yeah, you just got, you're just going to have to hear this interview. Uh, give the kid a break. Uh, please don't be too harsh on him. But as always, you're more than welcome to call and leave a voicemail with any responses that you might have. So here's my interview with Nick. So I'm here with my brother, Nick. He is the youngest of five. Even though he and I get along really well, we have some different views on a lot of different things, on religion, on politics, but we're really respectful of each other, and I have a lot of respect for him, morally speaking. Nick is a vegetarian, and he's also an atheist. Uh, Nick, do you want to expand on how you came about those beliefs and why you hold those beliefs? Sure. Hi. I kind of stumbled across some videos of a guy I really don't like anymore since my political standing has changed and I found out that he was a lying douchebag, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, I was talking about vegetarianism and all that. That's how I got on that. And then I saw some Richard Dawkins videos, which got me into atheism. I was kind of deistic. Mm. I believed in a higher being, but I didn't believe much in it. But, yeah, I just kind of saw some videos and that changed from deistic to atheistic. So for you, is atheism a reaction to the Christianity that you're raised in, or is it just you just saying that uh, that we're all alone and that everything is by chance? Well, I wouldn't say it's by chance. I actually kind of see the universe all as clockwork. It's amazing how it could not have happened any other way than it currently is. Like that soda can right there on the floor mm-hmm. could only ever be there. Because the universe was created in such a way that all the reactions occurring from its beginning that affect other things, like a planet's placement affects if life can develop there, and then the creators determine what life develops there, and then from there on, we just affect each other as beings. What do you mean by the creators? Well, I mean, like, creation itself. I'm not talking about... I I personally do not believe in creators, but I do believe it's got to start somewhere, unless it's infinite, which wouldn't make much sense, but, you know... You, you know, we never know. I mean, we're human, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, in terms of it being a reaction, it was more or less just me coming across new ideas and changing. And I, I did go through a little bit of slight rebellion. I wasn't being super moody, like, shut up, mom, or anything like that. But 
I was a little bit rebellious. I'm, my political views have changed quite a bit, my views on life a bit. But yeah, all, all in all, it wasn't as much a rebellion as it was, just new political ideas. And then I did react a bit too much to what mom and I would say to each other regarding that. Right. I would right kind right. of build off of her tension and add my own to that. And then arguments would occur. And it wasn't, you know, very pretty, verbally speaking. Yeah. I remember that night that you revealed to mom and dad that you were an atheist and. <laughs> They freaked out, and they, they tried to ground you, didn't they? I actually don't remember their reaction to me being atheist. I, I don't think that they did anything. I remember they sent you to your room, and then they got really, really upset, and Mom started crying, actually. And I think that, as a mother, she was afraid, my son is going to spend eternity in hell, but it was like, where's your faith that you claim to have? It's not up to you to change the minds or the hearts of anybody. You know, and I know that you mentioned that you switched from a very liberal perspective to more of a conservative perspective, and yet you still retain what the mainstream media would call, which, of course, you and I both feel the same way about the mainstream media. We, we have negative sentiments towards it, mm. but what they would call liberal standpoints such as vegetarianism and atheism and things like that, what led you to becoming more conservative? Well, the term conservative is a little hard to define, to be yeah, honest. That's There's true. such a huge spectrum between, like, what, 50% of the population. Just to get started with answering that, I'm liberal by liberal's literal definition in some ways because I believe in Americanism, at least for America. Maybe that wouldn't work in other countries. Like, I know that continental Europe is quite centralized, but in Anglo countries, I believe that a great amount of autonomy should be preserved for the various provinces or states. Yeah. Yeah, and th that system benefits us. It just coincides with our culture quite well. You know, don't tread on me, all that. Yeah. Even, you know, even left and right hate Congress. They want to manage their own affairs. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I believe in that, at least for our own country, that we should keep to those values. Yeah. And that, that works well for us. But in terms of the change, that occurred more or less when... Well, I, I kind of shifted from the left to the center when I found out a lot of statistics peddled by some extreme people on the left were totally false. Mm. Like, for instance, the wage gap and stuff like that. And then I became a little more uh, capitalistic in my economic beliefs because I, you know, I watched some videos and stuff. A lot, a lot of my opinion changes, by the way, occurred because of videos on YouTube. Yeah, sure, me too. Yeah, I, I became more capitalistic, I became a centrist, and then I watched <laughs> even more videos, and uh, I became a conservative, and then I watched even more videos, and I became a, a certain kind of conservative. Yeah, like moderate, maybe, might be a better term. Well, I didn't, I didn't like, move to the left much, but I, I kind of entered a niche. Like, there are some things on the political compass that you can't map, you know, the political compass, left, right, authoritarian, mm. libertarian, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. There are some things you can't map. Like, for instance, I am a race realist. I believe that race is a thing which impacts individuals quite a bit. The mainstream media would like to act as if it doesn't, that it's completely systemic. Yeah, so you can't really map that, because I don't think anyone's inferior. I just think that there are differences between human beings who've evolved in different settings. I know that kind of comes out of nowhere for anyone listening, I think I you worded that up. really well, though. I'm sorry to interrupt oh, oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think you worded that really well because the same sentiment worded differently could come across as a very racist statement. Yeah, so that's like, is it authoritarian? Is it 
libertarian? Is it left? Is it right? It's kind of hard to map. So then I just kind of entered a bit of a niche when I came across that. So, yeah, so basically my views now are lower immigration because of demographic imbalances, more economic freedom that that has done us quite well in the past, mm-hmm. and, you know, new methods of energy such as nuclear help us to be able to not destroy oh, yeah. in the process. I agree with you 100% on everything, except for the thing I'd like you to explain more is the immigration <coughs> issue, just because I understand and, and I appreciate that people evolved in different settings and they're more suited for different environments, but I'm not 100% clear on how that would benefit the United States to close off our borders, as it were. Well, I'm, I'm talking both legal and illegal, by the way, when I say this. I'm not just saying clamp down illegal, because I believe strongly in national sovereignty and the right for nations to do, you know, to, to enforce their laws. And I, and I know this might come across as controversial to some, but I think that if a nation can't keep its own sovereignty, then well, what really is it? The people who want to come in, they have a right to a living and a decent living, but they don't have a right to an American living. Like, some people come over and they say how sad it is they have to leave their family, and it really is sad. But when then I see them pull out an iPhone to show the news reporter pictures of their family, I think, dude... You are not fleeing a war zone. It is very sad that you have to leave your family, but that you pulled out an iPhone just now, not some scratchy photo from who knows where, you know, off off in some quaint desert town plagued by war or something like that. But, I'm sorry, that's a bit of a tangent, but then uh, to address your question of how it would be a disbenefit to allow more immigration... I believe societies which are more homogenous tend to do better, and this society has done itself a great wrong by slavery and then the negative effects of uh-huh. that. I'm not saying I just want to send them all back to Africa or anything like that. When right. say you know, they're here, they're American, they're quite a bit different from the Africans of Africa. But, um, yeah, I feel like this country, as well as many other countries, need to preserve their ability to be at least somewhat homogenous. And that it would be valuable if we did that, because this country is a Western one, and, you know, Western countries are founded by and maintained by mostly whites. And white people have evolved to have societies which are very individualistic and operate in very specific ways. For instance, people of darker skin tones, you know, uh, Latin Americans and Africans, even if they're fully integrated, in quotes, as it were, like, they identify as American more than, you know, from whatever random country that now exists that didn't exist back then. Even if that is the case, they will prefer certain types of governments. They'll prefer certain types of societies that we do not have in place, that we do not prefer ourselves, and that do not work too well for us. Do you Uh, mean they prefer that genetically, or do you mean they prefer that culturally? Well, I think it's a combination of the two, because you have different bug species that have different functioning societies, subspecies and stuff like that. They they might still be the same overall group, but they have different tendencies that better them differently. You know, like, for instance, East Asia, there are people with higher IQs than whites, but they have societies which are much more collectivist, much more seeing the whole group as one. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... They can function well in that setting because they've had a very concentrated high-density populations with centralized bureaucracies and stuff like that. But we in Europe have not had that because of geography and, you know, 
barbarians up north and even even the civilized people in the south being divided into city-states often and being feudalistically ruled, you know, you just pledge your loyalty to a new king. So, you know, there are different approaches like that to governments, and I think that bleeds out into what the actual people themselves prefer. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not saying, you know, kick them all out or anything, but Mm -hmm. I would like less immigration because a society such as ours tends to do better when it's as homogenous as is possible. Okay. If they can do better in their own socialistic settings, by all means, let them. But, like, what depresses me is that Texas, if current immigration rates continue, legal and illegal, could end up being a Democrat state, and a Republican will never, ever, ever, ever be elected into office, at least under the current conditions, ever again. And, you know, maybe some listeners might think, oh, that's a great thing, I don't like Republican ideas. Well, even if you think that, it's important for a society to have at least some thought diversity within boundaries. Yeah, checks and balances. Yeah, so it's like, if Democrats rule everything, what if they go mad with power and decide, to, oh, let's just abolish everything, let's do whatever we want. And what if, you know, let's say California gets flooded by immigrants from a more conservative country, then a Democrat would never be elected again. I think that would be a bad thing, because then there's an- another imbalance, and mm-hmm. maybe Republicans will go mad. Yeah, so I just think that if we keep ourselves as homogenous as possible, then that is a good thing. And I think people who have already been here for, you know, hundreds of years, whatever, in terms of family lines, are more integrated into our society than any other, and I really understand that. Like, uh, average IQ of uh, an African-American is 85, whereas the average IQ of an African African is, like, a little bit over 70. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you not think that that could be cured by education systems and by a lack of favoring the rich? The rich just get richer and the poor get poorer. And I would see that not necessarily as African Americans, but as the culturally and the financially and um, fiscally disadvantaged. Well, the thing is, you got to ask yourself... Are they really prejudiced against an education when their college entry exams are given plus 250 points and Asians are penalized by 50? They're not going to do as well on average, and I know this sounds kind of bad, but because of lower IQ, just as whites wouldn't prosper as well in traditionalist African societies that existed like, you know, a thousand years ago. So they're always going to be a bit below, but in terms of uh, increasing and more, you know, similarities between the two... Education doesn't directly really increase your IQ by very much, but it can give preferences for those who are smart. And, it, and having a more f- free society allows those who are smart to rise to the top and spread some ideas, which can perhaps allow society to liberalize even more, and then more intelligent people will be able to have more children, so like that they'll become successful in a free-thinking society. You know, Just to play devil's advocate... Why would the higher IQ be preferable to the lower IQ? Because in a society such as ours, which is very structured and based on education and whatnot, you know, a society where physical labor is not chief, among other things. And even in the times of agriculture, of farming by the common man, it really wasn't the biggest thing in the world because just about anybody can plow a field physically. The average, you know, human at the time could... But to plan when to plant and stuff like that mattered more than if your muscles were, like, half an inch bigger or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't think I elaborated completely a lot, a lot earlier. No, I, I think I understand where you're coming from. 
and uh, I disagree with you on a lot of things, but I respect your opinion because I know that you've thought through these things. And like you've said yourself, your opinion has changed so many times. Could you see yourself changing your opinion on this as well? I do not believe so. And I okay. know that sounds kind of ignorant. And I know it is ignorant to an extent. I will accept that. But to be honest, my opinion mostly changes when I come across new facts. Mm-hmm. And these are the purest facts when I look at, like, tables, for instance. I'm not saying all my opinions are completely fact, but Mm -hmm. me coming across tables of IQ and pay and stuff like that, like how even blacks and whites of similar education, having a lot of difference between them, I'll at least accept the realism of that. Maybe how I interpret it might change based on social conditions. And I'm not saying nobody of, of different colors are unassimilatable, but I just prefer overall a more homogenous society. Like, for instance, I recognize that Appalachian blacks and whites feel very close to one another and be quite similar in a lot of their beliefs when compared to French and German whites, or even, like, you know, New Yorkers and people from Massachusetts who are white. They'll have cultural bonding, which is great, and I accept that, and I understand there are quite a few people of African descent who are dedicated Americans, but I just believe that we shouldn't let things become less homogenous than they currently are. That undermines societies, as Europe is going through right now, because Germany is taking in insane amounts of people who have not experienced Western society a single time, not for a minute in their life. They can't even use bathhouses in Germany anymore because of that. Hmm. I'm sorry, what was the original point of all this? I was asking if you could entertain the concept that just as you flip-flop from liberal to conservative, I was just wondering if you would entertain the idea of, I hate the term flip-flopping, of changing your perspective, of learning new information that might change your ideas. We should say, how uh, how old are you? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm 14. (laughs) But I don't really think that my views would change all too much from what they currently have. They might, my interpretation of new information that I come across might change, but I do believe I will not turn in terms of political leaning by too much. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. From my perspective, I see a movement that I'm excited about politically towards more of a moderate standpoint, towards realizing that Republicans and Democrats are almost a farce. The fact that Fox and CNN are run by the same people, it's hard to argue that it's not a farce and that it's not a whole setup. And that it's not even a distraction. And I also see, like you were saying, how YouTube and how alternate media outlets are so much more honest and so much more um, as unbiased as a journalist can be. And I think that that is a very, very valuable asset and that any movement towards that is a positive movement. Yeah. I used to be really excited about the whole moderate thing, I kind of am because it gives us common ground and all that, and that is good. I kind of see some people campaigning under moderate moderatism, to be blunt here, pussyfooting on a lot of issues yeah. to keep that aura of moderatism. Even in Germany, the amount of moderatism is kind of scary. Well, I mean, it's it's becoming more, you know, bipolar, I guess, or polar, mm. to, for lack of a better word, because the people are rebelling against the establishment. But the establishment that has existed for a while was one of 
quote, moderatism, you could say, because the current conservative party, the conservative party of Germany, is the one which wants as many sub-Saharan and Saharan Muslims as is physically possible in their country, which, (laughs) that's not a very conservative standpoint by most global standards at all, and that is the conservative party of the country. So I feel like if we become too moderate, there's not as much ideological diversity. Yeah, I think that the moderate political standpoint is often misunderstood because, to me, moderate means pulling from different sides the things that you like the best. It's not a set thing like, if you're a Republican, you hate abortion. If you're a Democrat, you hate pro-life. If you're a Democrat, you hate guns. If you're a Republican, you love guns. To me, moderatism means pulling the things that are respectable and the things that make sense from both sides and marrying them into a worldview. And for me, a worldview that is constantly evolving and constantly changing as I'm presented with more information. Yeah, but the thing is, what are you to take from each side? And there's going to be a... Yeah, if I may answer your question, I take from each side what makes sense to me. But then that's a singular party state. And it might be good to have factions rather than parties. That's a whole de- another that's, my, that's what I mean by... Maybe I should have defined it before I said it, but by moderate, I mean I mean more of a faction approach. Maybe moderate is not even the best term for it. That's just the term that I was taught when I was first introduced to the idea. But in my lingo, in my jargon, I would define you as moderate because you have all these things that conventional people would say are liberal and conservative, but at the same time, you have such a compass that guides you and such a set set of values that it is indistinguishable from another moderate who might be more leaning towards libertarianism or leaning towards liberalism. Yeah, that is, that is most definitely moderatism. Well, that would be a good thing in terms of uh, less, you know, finger-pointing. That'd be a great thing. Between the two sides calling each other names. There is also a movement among Generation Z, my generation. It's quite a bit more pragmatic, and I feel like the overall political spectrum of the country will move quite a bit to the right. Not like, you know, far right or anything like that. But it's a pragmatic generation which has seen a lot of not-so-great stuff from the generation before it. You know, not knowing it was an insult to you, of course. The You can insult me. No, no. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that you embrace many of the things that uh, Generation Z likes to make fun of. Like uh, people screeching and having stupid college protests. My generation is a lot more pragmatic, and so, yeah, but the whole moderate thing, that could be a good thing for breaching the gap, but then my concern is once we're all singularly mined, or more closely singularly minded, yeah. my fear is just that some similar Germany will happen. It probably won't in this country. Oh, yeah, well, it could very well could, and I see that as an evolution. And you're an atheist, and um, I identify as Christian, and to me, that is what religion has been through over and over again in Hinduism. Hinduism was corrupted, and so the Buddha came along and took the values of Hinduism and took the lingo and the jargon of Hinduism and applied it in a new way and said, you guys are doing things the wrong way, you're, you're too legalistic. And that's paralleled with Christ, how he came into the Jewish culture as a Jew and said, you guys are just missing the whole point of things. And I see that as paralleling with politics. Once something new is set up, it's going to be corrupted, and it's going to need to be changed. And that's just how things are. That goes back to, I think, philosophy. I don't know if you're familiar with the philosopher Derrida, but he talks about how systems get set up 
and then they need to be torn down. And that's just how it is. That's the cycle. And it doesn't mean that we should stop. It doesn't mean that it's hopeless and we should stop pursuing after this idealism. But it means that we should pursue idealism in order to get as close to it as we possibly can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean in terms of evolving the political environment, make it a little less, I guess you could say legalist, a little less crazy. Right. Yeah, I totally agree about that. What I interpret the shift is that some people who would be far right might be going a little left. People who are far left might be going a little right, at least mm-hmm. org- news organizations and the overall public. And I do think that that's a better thing than we currently have. But call this partisan, but I do hope that the current trend among my generation continues, which I'm very proud of, turning the country a little bit more to the right because, in my opinion, right economic policy and right fiscal policy is what the country needs right now. How do you feel about right social policy as far as, like, uh, legalizing gay marriage and stuff like that? Gay marriage is a bit of a difficult issue, to be honest, because it's a religious thing. Yes. Marriage is a religious Mm, right. I'm pro-gay rights absolutely, 100%. I think a better way to approach that, of course, there's no going back in time, but more so as a civil union. I think... Legally, civil unions should be recognized as yes. much as marriage. Absolutely. Yeah. And a private church should not be federally mandated to marry somebody they don't want to marry because it's a private church. Yeah, you and I agree on this. That's almost combining church and state. And once you go down that Absolutely, road, yeah. it might be hard to curb government intervention in the future. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, actually, I believe 60% of Generation Z had conservative views on marriage. Not that gays sh- shouldn't have civil unions or anything, but I believe 60 60% said they overall had conservative-leaning views on that. And, and what's the reason behind that? I believe it's seeing it as a religious right, you know, R-I-T-E. The government encourages marriage because married people produce babies, and mm-hmm. they want to keep the population growing. Gay people don't produce babies, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. <laughs> but they do provide adoption for babies who are abandoned. Yes, that is true, and that is yeah. a good thing. Maybe provide benefits if you have a civil union and you do that. Uh-huh. But then the issue is you're not increasing the population. But do you realize how overpopulated we are? Well, in terms of a population chart, like of how many young and old people we have, we're not doing the best. I do get the world's overpopulation, but they want to ensure that we at least have two or three kids per family so that we don't go down or anything. Right, right, right. In America. Yeah. But worldwide, we are grossly overpopulated. If we weren't, there would be people dying of hunger and things like that. Well, I feel like people are going to always be dying of hunger in places like Africa. Where there's more people than there is food, there is starvation. Yeah, that's true. That is a global problem. In this country, our focus should, or at least was, on encouraging couples to produce two or more children. Uh How do you feel about interracial marriage? I mean, I don't really have many opinions on I think if you're going to marry, marry. For our society, it's good that we stay as homogenous as possible. And I think just nature kind of takes care of that if we keep immigration at a at an acceptable level. And in terms of interracial marriage and interactions, it's, I mean, you can't, you can't stop them. That'd be wrong to prevent them from having yeah. children and whatnot. How do you feel about Trump? I feel like he was a necessary evil. As a political sentiment in the country, as an environment, we needed someone to shake it up a bit. He's not going to win a second election, to be honest. Trump's not. He was no a necessary evil that the country took up. Yeah. I don't really like him too much, but I do, it, I do often enjoy it when he shoots down reporters for asking stupid questions. Hmm. Okay. I feel like the pattern in this country is a pendulum swing back and forth. I think that applies on the macro level and the micro level. 
And even in, in your personal life, in my personal life, going from being very fundamentalist to being very anti-God to being where I am now, I think you'll probably disagree with me, but I feel like it's inevitable that the opposite of Trump will be the next president. That doesn't necessarily mean a Democrat, but I feel like the opposite of Trump will probably be the next president. I highly doubt that because of the current political moving, movement of hatred of the establishment. Everybody hates it. Yeah, I do agree that someone opposite in terms of personality, but in terms of standing with the establishment or against it, I think that's impossible. I mean, as far as his bigotry goes. Trump, uh, Trump said some dumb stuff, but I honestly don't think he was super bigoted. He never said, down with blacks. He never said, down with Latinos. He once said something stupid. He said, they're coming over here and they're rapists. Quite a few are proportional to other people. You know, it's a different society. You don't feel as many repercussions. Those who would want to rape are more likely to carry it out. He meant to say, I feel, that a good deal of them are rapists, but he put it out in as strong terms as possible, which is kind of dumb. That's like the one thing liberals tend to reference when saying Trump's a bigot. He said a dumb thing. It doesn't mean he hates people of color. Yeah, when I say bigot, I don't necessarily exclusively mean race. I mean that he's also a sexist. From YouTube, I found that out. It was a direct audio recording of him saying some very, very shocking things against women. Well, yeah, that's the cut-down version of it. But if you heard the entire conversation, it's shocking. Yeah. A leader isn't going to be a perfect person, but the fact that we have a leader that is that two-faced... Oh, yeah, he's not president material. I think president material will win the next election. I agree with you there. Mm -hmm. But it would be a president material who gives a half middle finger at least to a good amount of the establishment. Okay, cool. So, yeah, we can meet there. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? <laughs> You're the interviewer. What yeah, but is I mean, you wanna... this is your episode. Ooh, taking over. I guess I'm going to be interviewing you now. You can if you want to. Well, this might get a little political and a little deep, but what, we were talking about the swing, you know, mm-hmm. and all that. What do you think of the current Generation Z, you know, in general political standing, moving more, a little bit more to the right, but not hugely so? Yeah. Moderate, but... I think that's a good thing. I still identify as libertarian. As far as idealism goes, I don't think that that means that all of a sudden we should tear down this Federal Reserve Bank and all of a sudden we should implement my ideals, but that we should take baby steps towards achieving those ideals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, economic liberty is a much prized by the new generation. And that's actually a great thing is uh, how more financially reliable or uh, consistent they seem to be mm-hmm. than millennials, for instance. Right. Because... They don't expect it from the government. They're more conservative. They want freer market, and they're taking care of their own bills more. So they don't want it from yeah, the government, and they can do important. it on their own. Yeah. yeah, and that's something that I didn't learn, and I'm really, really proud of you for learning, honestly. And I know you see me as a liberal, but being libertarian is on the spectrum further right than conservative. In terms of economic liberty, yeah, I could see where you're coming yeah. from there. I am more for states' rights and stuff like that. Yeah. And I believe in the invisible hand of the government and of the economy. But at the same time, I absolutely believe in liberal social issues, like we've already talked about, equality in marriage and equality in a lot of other social justice issues. But it's just the way that we go about bringing that change that is kind of up in the air and something that I'm still learning about. And, you know, I'm almost 30, and I still am not exactly sure the best way to go about trying to bring about those changes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's a bit of a a balance to be had there. 
people get often a little too mixed up right and left, I suppose. Their establishment left, establishment right. And, yeah. And actually, I do want to get into that, uh, the uh, alt-right. Because you mm. kind of mentioned how Milo Yiannopoulos, who kind of uh, yeah. pirated the ship that was the alt-right because they're like, hey, dude, you're... um." You're going around talking about black dicks, and that's not a. Why in our res? Uh, we don't see your resume as being very uh, thorough to our front. Uh huh. But <laughs> there's actually like two sort of sides. There are two uh, elements to the new right. I'm going to call it because the mm. right is a lot more diverse than some people who I find quite irritating at school like to say. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, Republicans, this and that, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit annoying hearing people trying to classify all people on the right into one group. Right. Um, Maybe it's time for new terms, like how he used to have the, what was it, the Whigs party and the, uh... Tories. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how, how much our parties have changed, and yet we think, oh, it's just Republican, Democrat. It's, it was a lot before that. But, um, yeah, getting into the, the new right, it is a very diverse move. I, I'm not even sure if I'm part of it. It's a little confusing because there's so much to it. Like, not many political groups fully believe in race and culture to the way I do. Like, the alt-right's the only one that really I can agree with on that. On um, what? Some on race and culture and stuff like that. Okay. And, you know, there's such a diversity that you can listen to a lot of people on there who are, who are prominent. And really, you can easily disagree with them. And like I was saying, there's sort of the alt-light and the alt-right. And a lot of people in the alt-right like to say people who shove into their movement a little bit or kind of subtly get a little bit involved as alt-light because they don't really believe in everything that quite a few on the alt-right believe. Or mm. they'll kind of like act like, oh, I'm the leader of this, and then pirate it some other direction like I kind of said with Milo. But um, yeah, I'm not even entirely sure if I'm part of this whole new right thing, but I might be. I might very well be. Because there, there are libertarians in there, then there are national socialists and all kinds of people in between, and it's really hard to classify it. And then the media like say, oh, Nazis, it's just a bunch of Nazis. Like, I feel as if each race should take pride in itself. Mm-hmm. White, I agree there, yeah. but not with a lot of the stuff that you just said, just for the record. Well, I, I like to actually get in that. I'm actually kind of curious, like, what? First off, I think that our views on borders and race and separation and things like that, honestly, I see yours as more antiquated and mine as more progressive. That may or may not be true, and I don't mean that as an attack at all. It's just me being completely blatantly honest. Antiquate. I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with that. Like, that's an old way of thinking. Oh. Well, to an extent, I believe old ways of thinking are too hardly criticized. We were in our most natural state in old days. Before right. we had to make up problems to start bitching and moaning about our campuses, and I'm not saying that's your stance, but I'm saying that the bitching and moaning at campuses is a side effect of progressivism. You know, people saying it's progressing forward, making society better, but at the same time, I feel like it's undoing what is natural. Like, I want less immigration, and I don't see how that's very bad. In almost every single ancient society, oh, you're a merchant? Come on in. Oh, you're a doctor? Come on in. We don't care. But, oh, you're going to start coming over in massive numbers and displacing my people, who it's my job as you know a king or mm. or a clan leader. It's my job to ensure that they live the best lives they can on that land. You're coming in. Get out. That's been the stance. And we've loosened up a little bit on that because we're not going to murder them. Right. You know, we've got humanism... Involved in that. I believe in humanistic nationalism. Okay. That is... That the is humanism right. I can totally get on board with. The nationalism I have a problem with. And going back to your metaphor, there's this kind of a slippery slope argument, which I totally denounce and reject, that 
just because somebody comes in willing to do labor, quote unquote, take jobs, it's going to have some sort of an awful negative effect on things when in truth, perhaps that progresses society and enables people who are more capable of doing things that they would rather be doing to do those things because the laborers don't mind doing the labor. Well, this might sound racist to some, but non-Latino whites are about 60% of the country's population. That is not natural. This country was founded by settlers. I'm not saying we should mm. try to change it. Make that it is shocking to hear you say that. What? Go ahead. Okay, I don't. I'm not saying kick him out or anything. Yeah, it was also partially it's, founded. How's that by, unnatural though? It, it's unnatural that whites are here to start with. Even go back to what was natural. The Native Americans were here and we slaughtered them. Is that natural that that we have some sort of a divine mandate? No, uh, I do not believe in the divine mandate. I do believe it was wrong to treat them horribly. And I'm sorry what I said might sound particularly racist, and that's the biggest thing I gotta kind of tiptoe through so I don't say anything that sounds too dumb. But I say it's unnatural because we replace them through war, which is horrible. But look how multiculturalism worked out for the natives. Oh, share our lands. Oh, mm-hmm. now there are more of you. Oh, please. Well, they didn't even say share our lands. They said share land. They didn't see land as a possessive thing. They didn't see their land as a possession. They said land is for everyone. Land is a resource. I'd like to know why the Iroquois murdered every tribe west of them within the Great Lakes. I would love to know that, too. Over beaver pelts. Yeah. So they killed each other over land for beaver pelts to sell. So I, I would argue a bit against the whole them not believing in land. And I think, like, within their community, that's an okay thing. It's a primitive idea of sharing within your own community. But you got to realize that every civilization throughout most of history has wanted to achieve their own Mm -hmm. betterment. And I don't think it's bad that we have non-whites in this country, but... Like, when we fight the natives, it's it's like we each want the betterment of our own people, and right. that's a good thing <laughs> on a base level, but not in terms of the wars it creates. You know, uber-nationalism going way too hard into it mm. results in wars like that. But at the same time, they said, oh, okay, you guys can share land a little bit, okay, whatever, or share this land. But then eventually the Europeans showed up with arms, wanting more and more, and I'm not saying Mexicans are going to fight a war with us or anything, mm-hmm. but it's unnatural that we should have the original population of America, not of the native lands. They are kicked out. That's not necessarily a good thing, but America is America, and that's just that right now. Or Otherwise, we're going right. to displace 320 million people. My point is that it's not natural that peacefully a percentage of the population should go down from like 80% to 60% when that could have easily been avoided. I don't but, see how that's a negative thing, though. Beca- well, because like, like, uh, okay, I'll give an example here. I'm sorry if, again, I have to apologize before about everything, and this might be the most... Speak your opinion. All right. The average Latino person in general costs the government $7,000 per year more than they pay in taxes. You mean illegal? Legal, actually. I saw a table. It was 7000 for regular Latinos. How does that work out? And it was 10000 for blacks. 
yeah, they still contribute labor to the companies, and uh-huh. that benefits society, which benefits the government. So it's not like the government's just going bankrupt or anything as a direct result of that. They're not as efficient for the economy. I'm, whenever I talk about things like this, I mean what would be most efficient for the country. And I'm not saying there's any solution to this other than just stem immigration. Mm. Imagine a country whose majority is less than 50%. That's an unstable country. Almost every single multicultural country where the, quote, majority population drops below 50 has turned into utter chaos and turmoil because there's going to be war between the various ethnicities. In this case, that might be a more subtle war. Their ideas will overtake ours, for instance. A, quote, race war, you could say. That would be a bad thing. Oh, yeah. And, like... I guess it would be along cultural and racial lines because this country is, you know, not as homogenous as would be possible. And I'm not saying we should, like, deport anyone. That's that's stupid. Yeah. Well, I mean, deport illegals, by mm-hmm. all means, in my opinion. In your opinion. But this society would be much less efficient if there was constant turmoil between the various races and cultures. And races tend to cling to different, you know, cultural ideas, as I said. Like Detroit, for instance. Mm-hmm. That was a bit of a shit show <laughs> in terms of conflict. That's one reason why I think we should cut down immigration. So some worse doesn't happen. I'm not saying right now there's a huge race war or anything like that. But my main point through all of this is that we should cut down immigration as much as is feasible while letting those who contribute come in. While you say, you know, it might be foolish to say they're taking our jobs, well, they kind of actually are because they'll work for much less, which is kind of sad, and it's good that they're getting better lives, but... Yeah, I didn't mean to say that necessarily. I meant to say if no Americans are willing to take that job for that pay, I don't see why not... Oh, if if nobody was, then yeah, but the problem is companies wanting to hire someone to work for half the pay. So then that contributes to it economically in terms of the conflict, and then politically, if you have larger numbers of people who are very different from one another, they're gonna come into blows. Like, the Austrian Empire couldn't hold itself together as nationalism rose because the Hungarians, the Austrians, the Slovaks, Serbs, Ukrainians, Poles, all those different people couldn't really get along with each other. Mm -hmm. And if this country experienced something similar to that, well, I just fear that wouldn't be doing too well. Right. Apart from race, I just wonder if those different people were to truly identify themselves as Americans, if that would be an issue to start with at all, or if that's just a fear. It's kind of hard to classify what an American is. Even those who classify themselves as Americans are often wanting of the destruction of many American things, like pulling down statues without holding a vote whether to keep them up or not. That is un-American to me, not respecting the rights of others. You could say all they've known is America, and that is true, but not everybody sees themselves as strictly firstly American. People say, I'm a Latino American, I'm this American, that American. If they're not too great number and they work well with the majority population, if the majority population does well, the minority populations will do well, generally speaking. And if there is turmoil between the two, nobody does well. Like sort of like the Jews in, in Poland and Ukraine. Maybe they're only like 20% population, or, or probably closer to like 10. That's not a huge percent. And yet they contributed very well. They were kind of indifferent. But in this society, that's not going to happen because people are quite larger percentages than that. And they don't identify, oh, I'm just a Jew in Poland and I right. speak Polish, I'm a Pole. They're like, I'm from this city and I'm this race. And I see, I see. We're not a communalistic society and different races of people who've been from different countries and who have different mental designs. I mean, mm-hmm. the scientific definition of a different species is if you can tell like two-thirds of them apart from one, each other, one another. If the scientific definition is they can't mate with each other. Well, horses and, and donkeys can breed. Yeah, they can breed, but their offspring can't breed, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, humans and Neanderthals. Mm-hmm. Different species. We bred, and our and yeah. descendants could breed, too. And these things like species and, and Republican and moderate and all these things, these are man-made terms. Oh, yeah. All I'm trying to say is that the brain structure of different races will, on average, and I stress this, on average be different, and that they won't often do as well in the same societies. And if the news goes about, for instance, riling up public opinion like they tend to, saying... The cops hate blacks because three white cops and three black cops, which is one of the funniest things in the world to me, shoot a black person. They say, oh, this is the white people's fault. And then you have crazy riots breaking down and stuff like that. And uh-huh. I would like to point out that although I am against the alt-right, I am equally against the Antifa or Antifa or however you pronounce it movement because... Even though I may support their ideals more so than those of the alt-right movement, both sides are equally guilty of this violent, horrible, awful behavior. And I've seen video footage on YouTube of people wearing shirts that say, Love Not Hate, throwing rocks, throwing bricks at people on the alt-right side. And to me, maybe it's because of my spirituality, and I suspect that it is, that both sides need love, that both sides need this unconditional love. I wish I could walk up to both sides and just say, I love you, I love you, I love you. The response that I would get from that, I have no idea. And maybe it's an idealistic thing, but to me, it's very important to build the kingdom of heaven on earth. I think that the Bible is misunderstood in a lot of ways, and that materialism is very, very important in spirituality and therefore religion, which I don't like religion, honestly, because religion has this kind of a stigma of being practiced, of being something that you do, whereas it's not something that you live. Spirituality is more so something that you live day to day, and I feel that only through true forgiveness and through true love can these problems be truly resolved. And through communication and hearing each other out. And that's why conversations like this between you and I, I think, are so important. And I still I still disagree with you on a lot of things, but I have complete and absolute respect for you because I know that if I were you, I would think exactly like you do. I would have the same life experiences as you. I would have the same assumptions as you. And I would believe the same way that you believe. And I respect you and I love you and you're my brother. And yeah, I love you, man. Really too, Caleb. And I do wish that the movements and people in general would try to have more understanding between them. But I guess I'm a little bit less on the let's all love thing than you. Yeah. Because I think it's good to be kind to people and to be compassionate and everything. But saying I'm sorry and that we should all just try to understand each other... That would be nice. That would be a great thing, but Mm. I don't think that's possible. Right, right, right. And that's where the idealism versus the realism comes in. Yeah. And and I think that, I don't even think that we should really try to be like that. We should should try to be peaceful and have dialogue. Mm. But, I don't know, maybe it's some of the things I've seen and heard, maybe it's a little biased because it's more strictly negative things. But I've seen and heard a lot of quite negative discourse between people and and it's hard to say i love you and i care to people who show up at a simple meeting of Mm. the right and they just show up to yell at them and it's like i'm not gonna say i understand you and i'm compassionate when you're trying to yell me off a stage and i wouldn't say that i understand them but the compassion that i hold to 
comes from Christianity in that it's absurd. It's absurd. And true, unrelentless, unconditional love is absurd. And that's the message behind Peter Rollins and Jay Baker and Paul Tillich and all these authors and theologians that I'm really into right now. A lot of them are fine with atheism. And I am too. And a lot of them are fine with secular humanism. And it is absurd. It is absurd. Of course it is absurd. But when you respond to violence with violence, then you're just going in circles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think that they should be responded to with violence. I guess I'm a little bit less in the compassion because I think some people are just dumb. Maybe they can be enlightened. Yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. I think it can be taken to a dumb place in the terms of Christianity. Yeah. You know, there's a time for peace and there's a time for war. And it takes wisdom and it takes experience to know when and where those different times are. Mm-hmm. And I often think there's some overly negative categorization. Like you're saying, you oppose the alt-right. But then what does that mean to you? Like, for instance, people who say they're white nationalists very often will say, I do not think blacks are inferior, but I wish to keep my right to being proud in my lineage. Yeah. And the belief among many with them is that segregation will occur naturally, which I agree with. But then some of them do want, like, actual deportations and creating new zones. And right. Stuff like that, that much, of course, you know, government I think, forces. I think labels get in the way a lot of the times. They really do. Like, people yeah. who are white nationalists, some of them are racist, but then a lot of them... I mean, you could call me that, mm-hmm. but I'd rather not stick to the label. I, I don't know. Yeah, sure. But I think you could keep to the pride of your own people and that you can be a proud African-American as well. You could say, I have a hardworking people, and you can have pride in your own races and your own nationalities, mm. accomplishments. You can say, those genes from those people were passed down to me. And I have some bit of them in me, and I can exert those cultural values that I've been taught. That's why I believe in humanistic nationalism, that you can have nationalism, you know, restricting immigration and allowing communities to naturally segregate if they will to do so, and be proud of your nation and keep your sovereignty, keep your borders and everything, but be humanistic. If there are war refugees, okay, sure, don't slaughter them. You know, <laughs> I don't think any refugees should be, or any sort of migrants should be slaughtered or anything. That's horrible. But, you know, I'm just, just you know, phrasing it. Yeah. What a lot of people don't seem to realize is most of the migrants to Europe aren't refugees, and then half of the ones who are refugees aren't. <laughs> they're people who like to claim refugee status. Like, oh, they're brown and kind of mm. speak Arabic-ish, even though it's a different dialect. Let's let them in. So, yeah, I, I basically believe in nationalism. The pride in your people is, is a great thing. It can lead to greater accomplishments. It if, can also lead to hatred, I think. Yeah, but the, the foundation of the modern nation-state is nationalism. Were it not for nationalism, it would be like a collection of dukedoms or just peoples who swear loyalty to a man rather than to their people. Like, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, it was a nice thing that they all loved their emperor, but they never were able to decide their own people's fate. And they rose up, and it's sad for the empire to face such a downfall, but they were able to thus make their own history and do something for their own kind, their own kin. And I think that that's a very valuable thing. That's why I believe quite firmly in humanistic nationalism. Mm. That while it does lead to, you know, wars and everything, after the foundation of the modern nation-state, there there haven't been fewer wars in history. We've gone through two great wars, which are largely motivated by nationalism, and we found out, 
hey, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> and, yeah, right. And yeah. now, after the lesson has been learned and many lives have been lost, sadly, we've come to this modern nation state. And then from this point on, I like to get into this a little bit, globalism I strongly oppose. Strongly. Mm-hmm. I think a country which is allowed to be sovereign and manage its own affairs is most efficient. If you try to force immigration or force policies from other countries on it, that's not going to help oh, anyone. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I agree there. Totally. Well, thanks for doing this interview, man. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, thanks for doing this, and I'm really, really curious to see how you grow and the type of person you turn into, and I'm going to be moving soon, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that does not affect how much I communicate with you, because I'm really invested in you. Thanks a lot. I'm, yeah, I enjoy our conversations as well, different perspectives and everything. Cool, man. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Yep, that was it. That was my interview with Nick. And he did actually ask afterwards that I play some clips from a YouTube video that he found. And so I'm going to go ahead and play some of those for you now and tell you where you can find the entire video for yourself. And I have to say, going into this, I feel like this just really kind of echoes the conversation that we had representing the interviewer, the reporter, and Nick representing the gentleman being interviewed. First, tell me, how's President Trump doing? He has not repealed the executive amnesties that he promised to repeal on his first day in office. Tell me what those executive amnesties are and what you were hoping he was going to achieve. People who were brought as children illegally into the United States have legal status. I don't think that they should be treated any differently from illegal immigrants, which is what they are. They are recipients of stolen goods, if you will. They did not come into the country under their own motivation, but they were brought here, and they are here illegally, and they should be treated as illegal immigrants. I supported Donald Trump because the effects of his policy would be to reduce the dispossession of whites, that is, to slow the process whereby whites become a minority in the United States, expelling all illegal immigrants taking a hard look at Muslim immigration and perhaps stopping it. Also, building a wall to prevent any further illegal immigration. I mean, most Americans just don't think it's right if a rich Chinese woman comes to the United States, has a baby, and is now the mother of a U.S. citizen. Or if a pregnant Mexican woman manages to get across the border and has a child for free on our dime in the United States and becomes the mother of a U.S. citizen. He promised to go after those things. He has done nothing about birthright citizenship, and he's waffling on the wall, which was his real signature issue. What are the feelings that you have about what's happened so far? I am disappointed in Donald Trump. Now, of course, he's vastly better than the alternative, which would have been Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton would have been beavering away, trying to legalize every single illegal immigrant. She would have been opening our doors to as many Muslims as possible, increasing the number of Syrian refugees coming to the United States. She would have been welcoming Muslims uh, as wholeheartedly and as warmly as she possibly could. What is your vision for America when it comes to race? I don't want my children and my grandchildren to become a minority. They're likely to become a despised and hated minority. 
people are being indoctrinated now to think that whites are responsible for everything that's ever gone wrong for non-whites anywhere in the world, any time in history. What is wrong with white Americans wanting their people, European stock, to remain a majority in the United States? We never voted to be swapped out and replaced by another people. This, to me, is a great injustice. The answer to that is the Native Americans who never voted to have the whites come over. The history of the United States is a terrible catastrophe for American Indians. No one would deny that. But if their dispossession was a catastrophe for them, why is our dispossession a good thing? Now, of course, the American Indians were slaughtering each other. They were taking each other's territory. It's not as though they were pristine and pure in terms of... Right. So were the Europeans, though, to be fair. They've been at war for a very long time. That has been the way human beings have operated up until really the 19th century. And when European consciousness really dominated the world, we decided, well, that's not such a good thing. It is really European thinking that established this rule that you should not invade and take other people's countries. What is happening in the United States States today is a peaceful invasion, a non-military invasion, which white Americans have the power to stop, but I've been psychologically disabled and are unable to say, no, sorry, this is a country that our ancestors built for us, and we wish you well, but you must flourish in your own countries. And the same thing is happening in all white countries at a greater or lesser rate. Why is that a bad thing? Do you wish to be displaced if you are a national majority? At what point is it legitimate for whites to decry a policy that is making them a minority? When we're only 25% of the population? When we're 5%? When we're zero? Why is it wrong for whites to wish to remain a majority as American society is changing? It's changing in ways that in their bones... Whites do not care for, and that is why they move when the neighborhood turns Mexican or black or whatever it is. And the United States is increasingly becoming a nation in which it's full of those neighborhoods where whites do not wish to live. But they have been browbeaten and terrorized to the point where they dare not express their deepest sentiments on this subject. I want to ask you about your ideology. I mean, do you think that the ideology of of a white country, a white supremacist, is something that's actually creating the problem. First of all, I completely reject the term white supremacy. I simply want the opportunity for my people, people of European origin, to be left alone so that we can pursue our own destiny. I you think don't we think have that's unique. happening already? It's, you don't think that's no, happened? No. If we become a minority, our destiny will be taken out of our hands. So that's that. I don't know if there's any new information there or not, but Nick felt like the gentleman articulated his ideas better than Nick did in the interview, so he asked me to do that, and I respected his request. Um, as always, you can support the podcast on patreon.com slash grievances. You can go to facebook.com slash grievances. You can go to soundcloud.com slash grievances. You can also get the episodes on iTunes. Should you like to call and leave a voicemail, I encourage you to do so, and there's plenty for you to discuss, plenty of things for you to say on a voicemail from this week's episode. Uh, The number for our voicemail is 612-460-0364. I'll go straight to voicemail, leave your message, and we will play it on the podcast. By we, of course, I'm using the royal we because it's just me, all by myself, all by my lonesome. Here, sitting in the dark, naked, and wet and cold. 
Well, thank you for listening. My name is Caleb Rowe, and this has been the Air of Grievances podcast. See you next time. When I'm full, I overflow. Compassion for the lowly. Compassion undeserved by me. And love for Christian Ferris.
registration 